0: You're listening to Insights with Philip Wilson, where the discussion focuses on how to maximize Social Security benefits. Considering there are 567 ways to file and 3,000 rules for filing, it's no wonder that 90% of those who file for Social Security do not receive their maximum benefits. Listen in as Philip Wilson, who is certified in Social Security claiming strategies, outlines what you need to know to get the most from your Social Security benefits.
1: Welcome to the show. Last week, we started a new series. We were talking about college. And in particular, ways that we can reduce this large expense, the largest expense for our children. And next to a home, the largest expense that most people have in their lifetime. So, we've been talking about the um, financial aid process, the ways that we can reduce your out of pocket cost uh, for assistance, and, and what's out there. Um, The biggest point that I wanted to make, at least in the onset, uh, I made last week, and that is the people who receive the most aid and pay the least amount for college are not the ones in the greatest need. The people who receive the most aid and pay the least amount of money for college are not the ones with the greatest needs. They are the ones that understand the process. And so what we're going to focus on uh, continue on today is is the understanding of the process and and just helping you understand the different rules what goes into determining whether or not a student qualifies for financial aid and so forth last week we left off talking about the financial aid equation and so i want to go back and revisit that a little bit and continue with that discussion but we talked about that a child's financial need is determined by the difference between the cost of the college and something that we call the expected family contribution, the EFC. So we determine need for a student by looking at the cost of the college minus the expected family contribution, and the expected family contribution was the number that the government determines that we should be able to contribute to college based on our income and our assets and we know this number by going to the website uh, for FAFSA, FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid and this is the starting point for all parents. Uh, FAFSA is actually um, a website that's maintained by the Department of Education. You go to it, you uh, you provide your child's income, assets, the outcome is this expected family contribution. And I also mentioned as a side note last week that this process needs to needs to start for parents October the 1st. That's when you can do this. Uh, this is a little bit of a change in the past. We used to wait till the end of the year uh, to do these things for people to have their end-of-the-year income and so forth. Now they've fast-forwarded the process in which you could start. So all parents need to look at this uh, starting next month, actually. Uh, but the expected family contribution, talking about that is pretty much where we left off. Um, I showed you I talked about an example last week between Auburn and MIT. And I was talking about if your child was looking to go to engineering, go into an engineering was considering the two different colleges. Uh, you're, you as a parent trying to figure out what you can do, what you cannot do, what you can afford, what you cannot afford. Um, one of the points that I made is those two different universities were picked for a reason, because they have a very different treatment for financial aid. Some colleges out there you will find are very aggressive when it comes to financial aid. Other colleges you will find are not so aggressive. In this situation, I I mentioned that MIT provides 100% of a child's financial need. So the difference between the cost of the college and this government number, this expected family contribution, MIT traditionally provides 100% of that for financial aid. Auburn, not so much. They're only, they're only known to provide about half of that. So you have additional costs associated with that. And when we worked through the example, I pointed out that the actual cost of MIT was actually less than Auburn. Even though the tuition cost was actually double, the cost to the parent was actually half it was 50% less. Now, how in the world is that how in the world is that possible? How can a school that costs twice as much in tuition actually cost you less? And that's really where we left off last week. And I started talking about the part of it is because of the resources available with the colleges. Some colleges have a lot more resources than others. Uh, you typically find these smaller private more expensive schools have uh, very strong endowments they have a lot of alumni giving they're very active in that area Uh, they have a lot of people that are making contributions to the university that can be used to provide assistance for the students Um, some universities have research arms maybe hospitals associated with them Uh, these provide a lot of resources uh, for the college to use for the student but the biggest reason for this is a supply and demand. And I started talking last week about that the majority of students go to generally the most public, the large public universities in the state. Now, here in Birmingham, probably 80 or percent or more of seniors go to Alabama or Auburn. And that's just pretty much the way it is. It was like that when I was in school. Um, it was probably more than that when I was in school. I mean, nowadays, uh, shopping for colleges has been a little bit more, uh, parents are a lot more involved than they were when I was in school. Uh, we pretty much just picked the school and we went. Uh, we didn't go out and visit schools like they do now. Uh, so pe- so students have spread out a little bit more on the country, looking at a lot of different schools, but you still have that same type of situation a large majority of students go to one of uh, a handful of of larger public universities that are very visible primarily because they have a football team or something along those lines and so the supply and demand factor comes in because these universities do not have to work very hard to attract the students they have more students than they know what to do with Uh, A lot of these smaller universities that are more expensive, private universities and so forth, they have to work a lot harder to attract the student. And that's really where it comes in. So when you contrast a university like Auburn and MIT, MIT is a lot more aggressive in providing financial packages for the students because they have to be. Auburn does not have have to do that. Um, they don't have to work as hard, but, but to, for these universities that are more, especially the ones that are more expensive, the private out of state universities, they need to provide more aid. They also have more resources to provide that aid, but they really need to work hard to attract these students. Now, colleges are a business, just like anything else. So, the way I think of this financial aid is like mar- is, is, is our marketing dollars. You know, do you have to spend dollars to attract customers? Well, if you, don't have to, if you don't need any customers, then you're not going to spend any money to attract more customers. And it really is that simple. And when you look at the different colleges, that you're going to notice that not all colleges are created equal when it comes to providing aid. And, and because of that, you can't necessarily limit the school choice for a parent based on the standard tuition rates, because you may find these more expensive schools because of the resources they have or because they need to be more aggressive to attract the students, the actual cost to the parent might be less. So one of the principles that I mentioned last week is that limiting school choice does not necessarily reduce a parent's share of college cost. What's logical for most parents it would be to look at a situation like Auburn and MIT, think about the budget, think about what's going on there, and they might, they might conclude that they need to steer their children to Auburn. Um, while they might recognize that, that MIT is a great – in fact, it's probably the most prestigious engineering school in the world, Auburn's a good school. And they just don't see the benefit of the additional tuition dollars. But the reason why I use that example is because I wanted parents to realize that that isn't just because the tuition is more for MIT. Does not mean that it's actually going to cost the parents more because of financial aid. So the financial aid reduces the cost. Now I'm not saying that I want you to send your children to the most expensive schools so they receive the most aid. That's not what I'm saying at all. You know is is. Would it be the right decision for your child to study engineering at Auburn? Would it be the right decision for them to go to MIT? I have no clue. You know, could they even get into MIT? Could they handle the academic uh, situations there? I have no idea. That's not the point. I just don't want parents to rule out the possibility of a university because they are just not aware of the actual cost of that university. You actually cannot know the cost to your child and to to a parent until you go through this financial aid process. Um, That is necessary for you to understand what these colleges are going to actually cost. Now, in the introduction last week, I started out by saying that I wanted to talk about how we choose colleges. And this is kind of what I'm leading up to with this understanding of the financial aid. Um, now, how do, how do most of the time our children choose a college? I mean, how do they decide? Well, in my experience, it's generally several different things. It's, it's where their friends go. Uh, it's who they root for. Uh, it's who they tailgate, for, tailgate at. Uh, it's who won the Iron Bowl. Um, it might be what's close to home. might be what's far away from home. Um, it's not generally selected because of the academics and the cost involved. Most children choose a college either because their friends are going or their parents went there or something along those lines. And I think that's fine, but I just want to encourage you to go about this a little bit different. What most people do is they have a handful of colleges that their child is interested in. Um, They might go visit those colleges and then kind of go from there. And then once they decide where they want to go, then they start the financial aid process. They start the admissions process. And so I'm actually kind of suggesting the reverse of that. And the reverse of that would be to allow this financial aid and cost to drive the selection of the schools. So you can start out with a handful of schools, but you also need to start out with the financial aid process and then eliminate schools based on what financial packages are provided. Not necessarily choosing the schools, um, going to visit them, and then starting the financial aid process. That's how most parents and students choose their schools. They pick a handful of schools, uh, they go visit, they decide which ones they like, and then they kind of go from there. So what I'm suggesting to you is the, is the best way to do this is to start out with a handful of schools, go through the financial process, the financial aid process, see what assistance is out there, uh, see what the actual cost is going to be, and then eliminate the colleges that you're not interested in. Go visit them then. Now, one of the one of the principles that I mentioned a few minutes ago was that n- all, not all colleges are created equal. And this is going to come out when you do, when you choose a college the way that I'm talking about. Because if you only choose a handful of colleges and then go visit and then go through the financial aid process, you're just going to find that the, the financial aid is not going to be able to be shopped. And so what I'm wanting to do is create a competitive situation between these different colleges so that the actual cost is what drives the boat. And and the analogy that I would use for that uh, would be buying a car. You know, what's one way that you can overpay for a car? You can go into a car dealership letting the salesman know that you've bought the car. Now, if you want to pay the most for that, that's fine. But if you want to pay a reduced amount for that, and you you need to create a competitive situation uh, for that car dealer. You need to go into it. Uh, not letting them know that you've already pre-chosen the university, um, that you could walk away very easily, and they need to give you the deal that you need. Um, So let's just take a break there, and we'll come back after the pause, um, and we'll continue from there. Social security benefits are a
0: key part of planning for retirement. Many people believe they simply apply and the only decision to make is at what age to begin benefits. With 567 ways to file and 3,000 different rules to follow, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, it is estimated that 90% of those who file for social security do not receive their maximum benefit. Learn more about how social security benefits are calculated and better understand how to maximize your benefits by attending one of Philip Wilson's social security workshops. If you're in the Pelham area, you can attend on October 16th or 25th at 6 p.m. or on October 29th at 11 a.m. The workshop is free, but since space is limited, you do need to reserve your seat. Register to attend online at ssmistakes.com or by calling Philip at 205-745-3948. Again, that's 205-745-3948.